This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Want to become the sort of developer top rail shops like ThoughtBot fight over? Join Upcase today to get the pro training, insider knowledge, access to ThoughtBot developers, and a community of like-minded learners you need. Hone core skills like Vim, Tmux, Git, and Rails by visiting upcase.com slash half off to get 50% off your first month of Upcase. Let's get that junior out of your title and start leveling up today with Upcase. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hey everybody, this is Brenda Storer, designer at ThoughtBot, coming in at episode 169 of Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots. And today I am here with Sarah Chips, CTO of a hardware startup called JewelBots. So, Sarah, how are you doing? How's New York today? It's good. Um, people are um, dressed up. A lot of costumes. Um, I'm wearing fox ears today, and I got one, what does the fox say? Oh, awesome. It's early still, so who knows? Could get more. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm so excited that you um, were able to um, join us today. And like in full disclosure, uh, I I know you already, so I think this is going to just be like a nice little chat between friends that maybe people get to listen in on. Yeah. So I guess just to start off, I really want to talk about um, JewelBots because I think it's super cool and it's hardware and what you've told me about it and the difference between starting a hardware company versus anything else is, is so interesting. But um, I'd also just love you to tell us a little bit of your background to start. Yeah. Um, so my background, so I've been building software for 15 years. I started in the world, uh, well, I actually started as a DBA. I did that for a few years and doing visual basic development. And then from there, I moved to C Sharp and I was an ASP.NET MVP with Microsoft products. And then the past five-ish years or so, I've been doing front and back-end JavaScript. And yeah, so that, that was my focus. And then about a year and a half ago, two years ago, well, two years ago, I started working on the dual box as a side project, and about a year ago, it turned into a full-time company, and I've been working on it ever since. So what about, like, I also, I think of you as one of the, like, early JavaScripters, like now, JavaScript, you know, there's 100 million frameworks, and everybody's doing yeah. JavaScript, like, what did the JavaScript community look like when you started? Was there a community? Yeah, so when I, that's actually a really good question. So when I started um, doing JavaScript, it's very similar to what the CSS community looks like right now, I think, because there wasn't really such thing as a JavaScript developer. It was like a very weird thing to hear because Node was fairly new. Backend JavaScript wasn't, it was, wasn't new, but it was, Node was you know, just barely coming out. So everyone... Front-end JavaScript is what people did, and it was just like now when you say, like, you're a CSS developer, sometimes people are like, is that a thing? Um, so when I like, first yes. started... Okay, <laughs> yes, also, I will fight you. <laughs> no, I know. Well, that's Not how you. I felt, too. Um, that's how I felt, too, because I was like, you know, people don't really call themselves JavaScript developers, but, like, this is a thing. And, uh, and now there are a ton of JavaScript developers now. So I'm, as an aside, I'm really excited to see that start happening in the CSS community. I think it's about time. Yeah, I just came from CSS DevConf in Long Beach, uh, and, and it, was, it was really awesome. Um, and there were, uh, it, we were joking that it was also um, SVG Conf, uh, because there were, like, four SVG talks. And um, 
I want somebody to actually make SVG Conf on the side. I That's totally would go to SVG Conf. Maybe, yeah. maybe that'll be the next CSS. Uh, cool. So how how did you escape .NET? Um, well, you know what? What really made me leave .NET, and this is something that's different now, but the .NET community was awesome and super supportive, but um, when I started seeing the open source community just really flourishing, and the, the open, it, it wasn't new, you know, I, the open source community had been around for a long time, but when I started like dipping my toes in the water of open source development, I just really loved the philosophy of learning, everyone learning from each other. Um, and at the time, ASP.NET and C Sharp was uh, closed source. And so I was like, you know, I just want to do something where like what I'm doing helps other people learn and vice versa. Well, you're also, all of the places you've worked or the recent places you worked have been all about education. Yeah. So what has education always been something? I mean, you are one of the founders of Girl Develop It. Um, you were CTO at Flatiron School Labs. It's Flatiron School Labs, correct? Flatiron School and Flatiron School Labs. At Flatiron School and Flatiron School Labs. And then now JewelBots is also really for education in a really fun way. So what got you involved in wanting to um, educate in code? That's, that's a really good question. So I think my own education it was really different. Um, you know, like I was homeschooled until high school. And then in high school, I went to a private school and a public school, uh, you know, like half private, half public. And, you know, like I really haven't, and, and, you know, college, I wasn't really that great of a student. I really didn't love traditional education. Um, and, and so I think I've carried that with me. I don't really love traditional education. I think it misses a lot of people. It missed me. How was that transition between homeschooling and high school, like walking into high school without knowing anybody or? It was awful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I mean, like, it was, yeah, it was so weird. Like, there were so many things that weren't new to me, um, so many things I was supposed to know that I didn't. And, for example, I'll never forget my first gym class that I ever took. Um, I think I've told you this story, but I don't think most people know the story. My first gym class I ever took, uh, people were, we were playing, like, indoor hockey so everyone got like a hockey stick and I was like okay this doesn't look hard I think I think you just have to get the thing and the other thing and the other person's gonna try not to not to like let you do it and so we played for like five minutes until like the coach had to stop the entire game because like apparently you're supposed to keep your hockey stick below your knee and not like wave it around like a maniac (laughs) (laughs) which is something I did not know so you're trying to take everybody out yeah exactly so just stuff like that, that like I didn't know that you're like supposed to know. It was really <laughs> difficult. Okay. <laughs> so I, I interrupted to get to that question, but um, you were talking about um, being involved in education and, and that uh, the traditional way didn't, didn't really suit you. So can you talk a little bit more about starting Girl Develop It? Was that kind of the first time you started to get into doing something like this with um, development? Yeah, and I think it came from, you know, we, uh, myself and Vanessa, my co-founder, you know, just came from a world where, like, I had just started going to user groups, and it was always, like, me, especially, like, just coming, I think I might have even been still in the Microsoft world, so it was always, like, me and, like, a bunch of 45-year-old men, and I was, like, in my mid-20s at the time, Um, and I just felt so uncomfortable asking questions, because for both, like, the fact that I was because I was different from everyone in the room, I was like, these people are going to think I'm an idiot. Like, no matter what question I had, I'd be like, man, I'm probably supposed to know this or this, like, 
might be something really stupid and embarrassing. So, you know, we just wanted to make a place where people could come and ask. Because even, like, as an adult, you're supposed to know things. You are? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, don't tell anyone. But, I, um, like, as an adult, people, like, expect you to know. Like, you don't ever want to be embarrassed by being the person that doesn't know something in the room. So we wanted to make a place where it was totally cool for people not to know things. And, in fact, welcome. Um, and so that's what started Girl Develop It. Cool. So what about, yeah, let's get, let's like just get into Jewelbot. So tell us about, what's the pitch? Give me your elevator pitch. Yeah. So Jewelbots are smart friendship bracelets aimed at teenage girls. They use a mesh network to help girls find their besties and send them secret messages in class. They're also open source. So using the Arduino ID, you can program them to do whatever you want, like turn your lights on when you get home or tell you when it's about to start raining or tell you if your parents are coming to pick you up, really anything you can imagine. So what, what is a mesh network? I'm not totally familiar with that. Yeah, so because girls, most, most one thing that we've, we've learned so much, we've talked to like 200 girls in our target demographic, and one of the first things that we learned is that they're not allowed to have cell phones when they're in class. Um, so unlike most wearables, we weren't able to depend on them having their smartphones with them to give them a network. So what a mesh network is, is it uses other jewel bots or it uses other modules or whatever in your network as nodes and it allows them to expand a network. So Bluetooth gives you 30 to 50 feet of range. Um, so say that you and I are friends. Um, I now, since you're near me, I get 50 feet of range from you because I can piggyback off of your signal. And then if someone is in your range that is also friends with me, I can use their signal to get an even larger network. Oh, cool. So this is how it works where like if we're friends, which I mean, we're going to be friends and we're going to be wearing jewel bots. Well, I mean, I don't know yet. We haven't what? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, not until it's programmed in that we're friends. Yeah. We're not actually friends. And t- until I have a jewel ball on my arm that lights up when we that's get next to each other. Right? Okay. Yep. But, but that's it. It's like you're near me and then it puts in the signal and knows. Yeah, exactly. What, so what does it come up with like out of the box? Like how much programming can someone do in the jewel bot to customize it? So out of the box, everything works. So you don't have to code it. So it can, out of the box, you can tell it who your friends are, and it will react when they're near you, and you can send them secret messages. Um, but if you use a micro USB, you can plug it into a laptop or a desktop, and using the Arduino programming environment, you can upload whatever firmware to it you want. So you'll have access to uh, our microprocessor, Bluetooth, four LEDs, a motor, uh, and a button. Wow. So yeah. Tell us about the start. So you said this was a side project. Mm-hmm. What yep. made you want to, actually, just what got you into hardware in the first place? Yeah, so an open source project called NodeBots got me into hardware. In fact, I'm headed to Dublin next week, and Dublin is when it all happened. I went to a conference called Node Dublin, and there was a woman there named Emily Rose, and she, um, very long story short, she basically made a smoke machine blow up and the entire conference went nuts and all the security <laughs> guards came running into the room using JavaScript and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Wait, was that intentional? So I went, 
explosion? No, she was like she had she had programmed the like all the electrical outlets, like the voltage is all different in Dublin. So like she had programmed the smoke machine using um, JavaScript, but then like when she tried to use it there, it like went crazy and the whole thing exploded and the whole room, the whole like conference room filled with smoke and like all these like security guards that have like nothing to do with the conference are running in like, what are these crazy people doing? <laughs> it was total anarchy and it, I was like, this is so great. So I went up to her afterwards and I was like, I want to do that. And she gave me a bag of LEDs and she was like, okay, make these light up. Um, and so that was my first project and that's what I did. Um, and it's kind of all history from there. I got to do lots of cool projects with Nodebots and I kind of fell in love with it. And I was like, I want to build something in hardware, which is not to be taken lightly, P.S. I think I took it a lot. I was like, yeah, who, who can't do this? Turns out it's crazy hard. <laughs> I, I was also just thinking about how, because since I just came from a conference, and it was the first time I spoke at a conference, and it was a, a different experience, like walking into, you know, the after party, if you had been a speaker versus before when I'd been an attendee. And I mean, I got a lot of good responses and people coming up to me and excited about what I talked about. Um, but I think it's so cool that you went up to Emily and she just, she set you on this path. She was like super open to your enthusiasm, gave you LEDs and set you on your way. Yeah. I mean, she definitely changed my life. She's like, she's an amazing person. If you ever had a chance to talk to her, she's Nexy Love on Twitter. N-E-X-X-Y-L-O-V-E, I think. Nexy yeah. Love. Yeah. I follow yeah. her. She's great. Yeah. So, um, and you know, she was like super like, you can totally do this. Uh, and she was right. I totally could. And it was great. I think that it is, if you know how hard something is when you start it, it's much harder to start. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think it's I think it's great to just be inspired and start digging in, and then you're in it, and then you have yep. to, and then and then you're addicted, and then that's when you work to get there, right? Yeah. Um, if I had any idea how hard jewel bats, I still would have done it, but I would have been, yeah, I still would have done it, but and like I still would have gotten involved in hardware, but I'm glad I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, what is that point when you make the transition? I mean, you've already had had some experience of, you know, being kind of an entrepreneur and, and starting starting companies, starting things. When was the point when you decided and what made you decide that you wanted to take this from a side project to try and make it, um, make it a real product? I think seeing, so one thing that was really interesting to me, and one thing that is awesome, if you have the opportunity, go see or go and get involved in FIRST Robotics. What's FIRST Robotics? Yeah. So FIRST Robotics is a nationally, national program, actually international program with, uh, I mean, it starts with middle school and it goes up to high school with kids that build amazing robots, you know, like the younger kids use Lego, Mindstorms, the older kids, you know, they get a robot kit and they build these like six foot machines that are in insanely intelligent and um, very well engineered. Uh, and it's basically a competition that happens. And for the past two years, I've had the, or the past few years, I've had the insane privilege of um, judging the New York Regional Championships, which happen at the Javits Center. Oh, cool. And, 
One, when I went to the first one, I think the thing that, first of all, the first one I went to, like halfway through, I went in the bathroom and cried because, which is like this, which is like, because it was the most diverse event related to technology I'd ever been to in my life. I mean, seeing these kids so excited about what they have built from such diverse, both um, ethnically, uh, gender-wise, socioeconomically backgrounds, going out there and like putting their all into, I mean, forget football and like baseball and high school sports. This is super competitive. And these kids put everything into this program. And I was going around, you know, sometimes you don't really, like I get to, you know, I'm at the point in my career where I'm lucky enough to get invited to like judge hackathons and judge things like this. And you walk around and sometimes it's um, so humbling and daunting, like what a responsibility you have, because you can tell that these people or the people that you're working with have put everything into this project and they care about it so much. Um, and here you are, just some schmuck walking around like, ah, I think that looks cool, you don't know. And I think it's, it can be so humbling. Um, and so, you know, walking around and seeing these kids. And one of the reasons why I think it's so diverse, you know, there's many reasons, but I think that that's what really what inspired me is the diversity of the event is because programming in itself is really boring and stupid, right? Like, and a lot of educational programs are just like, oh, here's how you make a variable, here's a function. And like, kids are like, who, like, who cares? You know, like, I don't care what a variable is. I don't care what a function is. Like, what does that even get? What does it even get me? You know? And so one thing that robotics does and like hardware does, it says like, oh, now I care what a function is, now I care what a variable is, because like it makes this robot move, and it makes like helps me play this game, or you know, like with Minecraft, like helps me make these Minecraft worlds that I've created more fun for my friends. Um, and so I, I think that's really what inspired me, is seeing how like physical computing can really inspire underrepresented people to get more involved in programming, because they see the purpose at that point, you know, like you see like, oh, I do want a program because here's what I can do with it. So I think that's really kind of what inspired me to turn this into something real. I've always said that I think if you can get the joy from the immediate gratification of making something work with code, then you're going to become a programmer because you're going to keep searching for that immediate joy. If that if that is strong enough for you, which I think it was for me, like if I make something animate in JavaScript on a click event, I will click that button like a hundred times and watch it go. Because right? that just make gives me so much joy. But the way you just describe that and I think about it in, you know, actually not just a little making pixels on a computer screen move, but actually, you know, making the arm of a robot move in a way that you want to, how extra powerful that could be. That's really that's really cool. So what does one do if you have an idea like this and you want to take it to the next level? It's a good question. Um, what did you do? So I did, so one thing I tried to do, and I think if you're involved in startups, you can relate to this. So there's nothing more frustrating when, than when, as a developer, someone comes to you and says, hey, I've got this great idea. I want to build this company. All I need is a developer to build it for free. <laughs> and that would be great. 
<laughs> so I'm going to give you 10% of the company and you can spend like 500 hours building a prototype if that's cool and I'm going to sit there and just pontificate the whole time. Um, How many offers like that have you gotten? A million. Really? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, people are, you always get, like, even just, like, people are just like, oh, I have this great idea, you should build it. Or, like, how can I, how can I hire a CTO? And then you'll be like, oh, okay, what's your budget? And they'll be like, oh, I don't have a budget. I've got, a, like, an awesome thing to build, though. And you're like, I don't think, I don't think it works that way, you know? Um, so I tried to say, like, so I, you know, obviously needed professionals to help me, people that went to school for like mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, industrial design, all those things, those skills that I don't have. But one thing that I've always admired in founders that are non-technical is when they sit down and roll their sleeves up and make a terrible prototype or just like a prototype of what they want to build. And sometimes that can be terrible. Sometimes it works for now. Um, and so that's what I try to do for Jewelbot. So I was like, here's what I want to build. I'm going to make an Arduino-based version of it and then iterate on that. And at some point, hopefully, professionals will want to work with me on it. And so that's what, that's what I did. I started with Arduino, the Femtoduino, and then a Spark Core, and then, which is now Particle, and then um, a whole bunch of like, things that obviously don't make a product, but I could at least make a prototype that I can show people. Like, I do really actually care about this, um, and I really hope that you want to work with me on it. So how do you find people to show it to? Who do you show it to? So uh, in the beginning, I worked, you know, had a limited budget. I bootstrapped um, in the beginning. And so I would find people on, one place was Etsy. So I needed a designer to help me, like, design something that I could 3D print. Um, and so on Etsy, I found people that worked in 3D design making cool projects of their own. And I was able to pay them, like, a nominal rate to work with me. That's really smart. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, I went to ITP, which is a school here in New York. It's the Interactive Telecommunications Program at NYU. It's a master's program for people that want to work with art and technology. So um, I met Maria Paola there, who's my co-founder. Um, she had done some amazing project work, and I had shown her what I'd put together myself. And we worked together on the next prototype of Jewelbots, um, and then I was able to get into a hardware accelerator called Highway One, um, where they helped me um, with the next version, um, and they had electrical engineers and mechanical engineers and um, industrial designers on staff that could help me get together my first prototype with a, a printed circuit board that um, we designed, and then um, from there, I was able to secure some more funding and hire some people who um, went to school for this and do this for a living, which is really nice. So it just it, it just grows because you're working on it. I mean, this is what it sounds like. It grows because you're working on it and it wants to grow. Does that sound? Yeah. You're, work, you're working hard. I've, I've watched you work really hard in the past couple of years, and to see where you are now is, 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 is just so exciting. I also think that um, what Highway 1 the, what that experience was like. Could you talk about that a little bit? Like you went to China and toured um, production factories. Yeah, that was pretty wild and neat. I went, we went to Shenzhen and got to see um, Apple products being made and Beats by Dre being made. Um, that was really neat. It's, it was an interesting, you know, I never knew how big of an industry packaging design was. So like packaging design is like a monster industry. Oh, yeah where like 
And like people build all kinds of packages. Like some packages, you know, depending on, so there's something called the bill of materials. Your bill of materials is what your costs are for, and you know, what each component that makes your product is. For example, our bill of materials for Jewelbots is a, around $14. Um, and then on top of that, packaging um, is really cool. There's a lot that goes into it. Some packages cost like $2, you know, like $1 to $2 because they're really simple and just cardboard. Some packages um, cost like $10 to $20 because they're made out of wood or like, you know, they have like gems in them or like some kind of crazy stuff. Um, and it really adds to uh, how polished your product look. It's really interesting to learn all about that stuff. What I thought was really interesting was you, I watched a talk that you gave where you talked about how you got feedback and how you iterated in something like this, something hardware where something physically has to be made. Because I think, you know, as a designer and on the web, it's very easy to be agile and iterate because nothing we make is permanent and everything is mutable. So how does that process work when you're working on a physical product? So, I mean, it's, it, it's hard. Because, like, with software, you know, like, my new thing is, like, software is, like, pretend. And I love <laughs> software. Like, it was my livelihood for a long time. And still, it's something important that we do. But hardware is so difficult. So you have to really make a point of having touch points where you get feedback and you can implement them. And so uh, that starts with the process of building with foam uh, and 3D printing and things that are less expensive and you can get... Um, opinions from people in your target demographic on the design, the size, all the things. And then from there, um, you know, it gets harder and harder to implement feedback. So um, the earlier you can get your product in front of people and get opinions, the better. What makes it harder is it that you, it, you can't change certain things once you've gotten to a certain point, or it's harder yeah. to change things, more expensive? It's harder. So, like, if we got some feedback, right, right now, like, if we got feedback that meant we have to change our product, it would push us by a month. Mm -hmm. um, where, like, earlier on, we can make better decisions about, you know, what we're building that don't affect us as much. So, uh, it's, it's been a challenge figuring out when those times are. So, it's been good. And uh, it's been a lot of work. So what, what part of the process are you at now? They're supposed to launch early next year. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just finished a really successful Kickstarter, right? Yeah. So we did a Kickstarter this summer where we raised 170K and wow. sold a lot of product. We sold 3,000 Jewel Bots. Um, and so our, we're going to production. Our, we should start the manufacturing process in December um, and get our first units out early next year. So what is your team doing now? What do you have to do in December when things start to go in production? Is this like crazy time? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's all crazy time though, right? It's all crazy time, but especially <laughs> now. So let me tell you a story about hardware. Three weeks ago, we ordered some, our final rev of our circuit boards. Um, and so... What, what, do you, what is rev, your final rev? Review? Our final version. Oh, final version. Okay. Yeah. Final revision is what it is. Revision. Um, so we ordered them. We paid extra for a five-day turnaround so we can get them in the office as soon as possible. And where are you ordering them from? San Francisco, um, a place on the West Coast that, that fabricates them. 
So when they went to build them, they realized that all of the antennas that go with our microprocessor that we need were sold out everywhere, all over the world. <laughs> our chip just came out of beta, and what we think is a company went to production with, with our chip. You know, the, we're um. using a chip from Nordic, and they just bought up all the antennas. So it took us a week, but we found a whole bunch of them at a warehouse in the Czech Republic. Oh, excellent. I don't know how you track that down. How does one yeah. track that down? So our uh, VP of hardware engineering just went through and checked basically anyone that's, that stocked these everywhere. So it took him like two days and he was able to find them. Wow. So we rushed them here. It took about three weeks. And so that's three weeks we didn't have the boards that we should have. Three weeks later, we got the boards in. So that was this Monday, we've been like waiting, waiting, waiting um, this whole time. It's Monday, we get the boards. And the board, the button hadn't been put on. So we were, the button is huge and it's right on the front. And the, what does this button do? Um, so we have one, we have two buttons. One is a reset button and the other button controls everything about the device. So it's a pretty important part of the job. <laughs> So we were like, what the heck? And so me, I'm like at the end of my rope with these things because we've been waiting forever. And so we send it back because the button is a metal piece. It's like just a, just a metal piece that goes on top and it completes a circuit when it gets pushed down. So the place that fabricated them was super sorry and they apologized. So they're like overnight them to me, uh, to us. We'll overnight them back to you. So this gets us to Wednesday. Now, mind you, I really want to bring a jewel bot with me next week. I'm headed to Dublin for a conference called Web Summit. So we send them back to them, overnight them, overnight them back, the buttons are put on. Our um, engineers are working to get some firmware on the device. And this morning, they realized that the way the buttons got put on was shorting out the entire board. It got put on incorrectly. And we're crossing the, the entire board to uh, short circuit. So now our um, resident mechanical engineer was brilliant enough to try to take them off and put them back on himself, which he did, and was able to make sure they weren't shorting out. But that right there is an adventure in hardware and something that can happen at any, any point. Is that kind of a typical story of the process, or is that like a, a, one of the worst? No, it's a typical story. <laughs> okay, so so if I was going to ask you if anybody wanted to start a hardware startup, what advice would you give? What should yeah. they know? Yeah, um, I think that one thing you should know is that it's crazy expensive. Hardware's difference of software in the way that it's almost impossible to bootstrap, but it's profitable much earlier. So, you know, it costs a lot of money to get a hardware project off the ground. Yeah, I mean, you have a physical product which has materials that are going to cost money. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what about, like, also, like, what we, uh, we've been talking a lot about the process of hardware and starting a hardware company, but I also wanted to talk about um, the idea behind JewelBots in particular. Like, right now, there's a lot of movement towards gender-neutral toys, and this one, it, like you really, this is made for girls, right? Could you talk about why you wanted to make this for girls in particular? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So I think that it's definitely geared towards girls. You know, like we don't want to discourage anyone from you, like becoming part of the Joelbots community, and we'll definitely be introducing some gender-neutral charm designs somewhere down the road. But the reason why it was important to me is just because I needed something like this when I was younger. And I like to say that rather than being directly for girls, I think um, jewel bots are just something that's decidedly feminine. You know, like it's very rare that you can find a toy that's feminine, that's made for engineering, creating, and building. Um, and so I think the, the distinct choice that we're making is to create something feminine um, that is for building. I love that. I think that's something that I had the uh, same experience too, where there was nothing. I mean, the only, I, w- I was a super Barbie girl. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> um, but I did, I also felt like all of the clothes and I didn't like that everything was pink. I didn't want everything to be super frilly and girly. I really wanted Barbie to be more like an adult, you know, more like who I wanted to be. I guess, like, what do you think of those new Barbie ads that have been coming out? They've been getting a lot of positive attention. I feel like that that's what I wanted as a kid. Yeah. From, from, and that's how I played with toys as a kid was like that. And it was still feminine, but it was I didn't need lace and hot pink and, and fluff, you know? Yeah. What did you think? Have you seen the new Barbie ads? I haven't, but I've heard good things. And I really think it is a spectrum. Like, I think that, like, and I hear this from parents a lot, the instinct is to be like, okay, my child is going to be, like, an engineer or a doctor, and therefore, like, I'm going to discourage her from liking princesses and, like, liking girly things and stuff like that. And I don't think those things have to be mutually exclusive. And I don't think, like, Barbie needs to always be, like, the most feminine thing in the room and all her stuff has to be pink, even though I'm, like, really into her pink car and I really like her pink mansion, like, I would live, I would, like, totally deal with it. But I also might want, like, a beige mansion or, like, maybe, like, a silver car. You know, whatever is your, like, Barbie flavor. I mean, my Barbie had a red Ferrari, for the record. That's nice. Yeah, no. That's it, really nice. It, it, she, she, was, she was pretty good. She was pretty, I mean, I had like 100 Barbies. I was an only child, and all my friends were jealous because I had all the Barbies. Yeah. I was the opposite. I had like one Barbie, and she was like super jank. <laughs> I also had, but I also had Star Wars. Like, I was a huge Star Wars kid. Um, yeah. And I had like one male cousin. I think he was the only person who would play Star Wars with me, but I had the Millennium Falcon and everything. Um, but but I think like also Star Wars had Princess Leia was such a strong female character who is probably half of the reason I am who I am today is <laughs> because of Princess Leia and like Olivia Newton John <laughs> were probably my biggest childhood idols, which probably just dated myself. But that's cool. So. Any kind of final thoughts or final words or final bits of advice to anybody who is interested in getting into hardware? Um, where would they go? Um, where would they go to find out more about Jewelbots in particular, if that's interesting? Yeah. Um, so if you want to learn more about Jewelbots, you can go to Jewelbots.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about hardware, I, would, I can't recommend getting involved in the NodeBots community enough. They are everywhere and you're in a city near you and there's a lot of great um, resources online for beginners. Cool. 
Well, thank you so much for um, taking some time to talk to me today. Yeah, have a great trip to thank Dublin. Thank you. Thank you for the rest of your trip. Yeah, thanks. Today's show was produced by Brenda Storer and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like access to the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 169. Thanks for listening. 